Welcome to Uncontained, episode 53. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render. On the show today, I have actor Greg Berman. You may have seen him on NBC's Chicago PD, ABC's In an Instant, the episode titled Buried Alive, where he plays a young farmer trapped in a grain silo. You may have seen him on stage doing stand-up comedy at the Hollywood Laugh Factory, the Acme Comedy Club in Minnesota, House of Comedy in Minnesota, or, you know, some of the uh, other clubs across the nation, including Goonies Comedy Club in Rochester, Minneapolis, as well as Hyenas in Dallas, Texas. But, you know, keep an eye on his website, gregberman.com, to check out what shows he has coming up. I know if you're in the Seattle area, he will will be performing at a couple casinos up there in just a few weeks. He'll be performing at a couple casinos in the Seattle area, Tula Lip Casino and the Muckleshot Casino. The Tula Lip is on February 21st and the Muckleshot is on the 22nd. Check out his website once again, gregbeerman.com and click the events to see upcoming shows. Plus, he has the King Davids of Comedy Show, which is a show he puts on for Jewish comedians, you know, like the Kings of Comedy and everything. It's the King Davids of Comedy Show, and that will be at the Laugh Factory in L.A., so things to keep an eye on. Greg also has another cool event that he does, another cool show. It's called Porch Sessions, and uh, he interviews people on his porch in L.A., and videotapes their performances. You can find uh, the link to that on his website as well. And while you're out there surfing the web, if you want to support Uncontained, which why wouldn't you, right? Uh, just go to uncontained.com. If you have to hit up Amazon to do any shopping, do so through there. A couple people have asked me what equipment I use to record the show. I've actually, in the About Me section, uh, put the equipment I use and also with easy access links to uh, purchase that equipment. So if you want to start your own podcast, I encourage it. It doesn't take that much equipment to uh, to go out and start something. So check it out. It doesn't take that much equipment to get started. And speaking of getting started, let's get this damn show started with the one, the only Greg Berman right here on Uncontained. How are you doing today, Greg? Welcome to Uncontained. I'm doing great. How are you, sir? I'm doing great as well. Actually enjoying a sunny day. It's been, as we were talking earlier, it's uh, been really rainy out here on the West Coast lately. But... Yeah, I just, uh, I was not expecting that kind of rain. I mean, I, I knew it rained in California, but not for a whole month straight. Although, <laughs> I have heard that this is pretty uncommon. So, Yeah, how, how long have you been out in L.A.? You know, just a little bit over a year. I came officially my first day in, like, my first full day in L.A. was January 24th. So I'm just now passing that one-year mark here in Los Angeles. Okay. All right. Great. Well, welcome to the West Coast. I've been out here about four years myself, and this is the most rain that I've seen um, in that four years period within this last month. So, Sure. But also, we are not one to complain. Like, I came from Minneapolis. Rain was like a beautiful thing you prayed for because most of the time you have sleet and <laughs> snow yes. and just ice falling from the sky. Yes, it's uh, definitely much better than shoveling snow. 
and uh, the one thing I miss, though, is uh, lightning and thunder. You don't really get that out here. No, you really don't, which is – I think that's kind of interesting, actually. Like, I get the whole – I get the fact that it's warmer here so you don't get snow. That makes sense. Yeah. But why no lightning and thunder? What, is it just less staticky here in California? Is, it, is there less – Less charge, less electricity. What is it? Let me, is there less... let me tell you something, Greg. I am not a meteorologist. So <laughs> Can we so... get another guy on the on the call? Can we call someone right now? <laughs> I, it might have, have to do with le- less uh, high and low uh, pressures and stuff like that and like stuff connecting. I don't know. I'll speak Wait, no, non-scientific right. on this. But, you know, they're always like, we got a low pressure source coming in here, meeting up with this high pressure source, creating the yes. storm. I think you're right. I think it's about them like sliding past each other that creates that static or something like that. I, yeah. I like briefly remember because high pressure system I think is warmer so it goes no, I think things so. that are higher pressure they go lower and something goes higher and as they go past each other up and down I think that's what causes storms I don't know yeah I'm not sure this podcast talking we should about. we should talk about we Doppler radar and everything like that <laughs> everything we can learn about weather I, I see a career change in my future do you want to be a weatherman uh, it might be easier <laughs> <laughs> it could be man it could be so uh, but you are an actor and a comedian. Um, yes. Do you identify yourself more as one or the other, or is it kind of equally equal parts actor and comedian for you? You know, it's interesting because I a lot of people ask me that question, and um, I always have such a hard time answering it because I don't think of it as two different things. I guess in my head, I'm just so... What, I guess if you would ask me what is it that I want to do, I would say that I want to tell a story or convey a message or make someone feel something with, you know, a piece of work, right? And okay. I find it very limiting to think of myself as just a comedian or just an actor or something like that because it feels like it feels like the story has to be specific to the medium, you know, like if there's a story that I want to tell or some sort of emotion that I want to translate that is better for stand-up, then cool. That, then that's how I want to do it. And I have found a lot of outlet in stand-up comedy. I've been doing stand-up comedy for almost nine years at this point, And I found, you know, a lot of stories that I have been able to tell as a comic that have totally worked. But I think sometimes there are things that I want to do creatively that just don't work as a stand-up. So acting or writing or directing or producing is a better medium for that. So it's just such a hard question for me to answer because I always feel like, for me, it's like idea first, medium second. Like I come up with something that I want to do and then I decide if stand-up or acting or writing or directing or whatever is the best way to do it, you know? Because I think on some level, I'm just a very like collaborative person i really like working with people and stand-up is uh not the most collaborative of arts but i really enjoy it i mean i love doing stand-up comedy i love being on stage and i love making people laugh but i i still like the collaborative part of stand-up so for me it's just it's always such a fluid thing and i i don't like the idea of having to pin myself into one or the other Although it seems that that's kind of what L.A. and Hollywood want you to do is decide who you are 
and then go barreling down that path like full force. Yeah, it does seem to be less that now than, say, like when we were growing up, you know, you were either an actor, Definitely. you were either a comedian, you were either a movie star, a TV star, you know, it didn't really right. blur much. Now people are like all over the place. Well, and think about any comedian that has recently become famous. You know, Kevin Hart was just a comedian for a long time. And then they were like, well, do you act? You know, and like that happens to and then Louis C.K., for example, one of my favorite comics, if not my favorite comedian, um, you know, he's he's a guy that was a comic for I mean, he started doing stand up comedy when he was 17. And when did he really like make it to like big time famous? I mean, what, maybe 10 years ago when everyone knew about him when he released his first like big special, you know, and, and now he's shooting Louie. I mean, he's doing still doing a lot of stand up comedy, but he's shooting shooting Louie. He did Horace and Pete, you know, so like they want you to slip into the other categories but only after you've accomplished your one category, which is such an interesting thing. I wish I could just do all of them from the start, you know? I, I hear you, man. I hear you. But getting that foot in the door and getting firmly established, I think, is kind of important. And then you can go to multiple doors from that. At least that's what yeah. I've seen and uh, what I'm trying to do. Definitely. Now, I, I was reading your website and uh, in your actor uh, section on the website, you put something that was very, very real. You know, it's like it, acting is like any other job where they want you to have experience before you do the job, but yeah. you can't get experience without being able to having somebody come off, let you do it, you know? Right. Um, have you been breaking down more doors, being able to get more, more jobs? I know I've seen a few kind of impressive things on your resume. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it's one of those things where it's um, it always feels like you have nothing until you have something. And then when you have something, you're so excited about it until that ends. And then you feel like you have nothing again. Cause it's this weird sort of, cause you're right. Um, it's, it's kind of like interviewing for an entry level position that wants you to have two years of you know, work experience. And it's like, you're the one who's supposed to give me the work experience. <laughs> Where am I supposed to get this other work? I can't just magically make it appear. And so a lot of the times, that's why they say that becoming an actor is all about getting lucky. Because that first job that you get, the one that sort of gives you enough of a podium to stand on, you know, that first job, that's the one that you kind of have to fall into. You have to sort of just, you just sort of, you know, find your way, meet the right guy, be in the right place, have the right people, see the right thing, you know. And then they're like, "Hey, why don't we give this guy a shot?" And then you have to knock that, knock that opportunity out of the park, and then people start caring about you. But that's kind of how like internships work too, you know. Like people aren't just hiring anyone for internships. You have to like find your way in. And like in the corporate world, I mean, you find yeah. your way in and then you do well. And then now you've got some experience and then now you can go apply for most jobs because you've got this internship experience, you know, and that's kind of what everyone wants you to have is like those first couple credits. That's what everyone wants. What was your first big credit or first credit that got the ball rolling for you? Um, you know, I think. The first like major, the first thing that I booked that was like, you know, outside of just a commercial here and there and stuff like that was this feature length film that I booked in Minnesota about three years ago. 
it seems so long ago now, but three years ago called, um, at, at that point it was called Red Ice. And it was a feature film, and I was the lead. I was the main character. I'm the only person that survives it, actually, because everyone else dies okay. at my at my hand. I kill them all. <laughs> but um, the first, I it was uh, it was a movie about this ex marine. Um, which, by the way, as a caveat, I end up playing a lot of ex military. It's kind of interesting. Okay. I've yet to play an, a current military. But I always seem to play ex-military. So it's almost like everyone's telling me, like, ah, maybe at one point you were in shape. But now, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's not quite believable now. But, yeah, exactly. five, ten years ago, I can <laughs> exactly. see Exactly. It. It's like you at one point could have killed a man. But now, eh, we'll see. Now so, you may still possess the skills. But the right. physical <laughs> discipline, eh. So I guess it just looks like I'm a guy with PTSD, right? Like, okay. <laughs> oh, that might have been too far. Sorry, sorry, military folks. Um, but so I played this ex-Marine who, um, who is called by this husband and wife, on, like completely separately, and they both ask for me to kill the other, and and the only reason they do that is because I was in the military, and they think that I'm capable of it, and then eventually the husband. He's like this rich guy, takes me out to this ice house, uh, ice fishing, which most people on the West Coast probably are not super familiar with, is where you go and freeze your balls off in the middle of a lake, in the middle of an ice storm, uh, to catch some fish that you can totally do at any other time of the year, but you just do it in the winter because it's, I don't know why. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. It's the stupidest thing in the world. So he takes some ice fishing. Uh, in, in fact, ice fishing, I'm convinced, is not even about fishing. It's about drinking, You could, and, which is crazy. Because you can drink in a bar where it's warm. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so it's an ice fishing movie. Anyway, so this whole movie um, I shot, it was an amazing experience. And it's just now, three years later, just now in post. And it will probably come out um, this mid-spring. Uh, and I don't know where, you know, maybe they'll shop it around to Netflix or maybe send it to some festivals or Amazon Prime. I n I'm not sure yet. But... Um, so that was my first like major one. And then after that, I started booking some like decent TV credits that have helped. Okay. Yeah. See, so you got like something on Chicago PD, um, mm -hmm. on NBC, uh, something on ABC buried alive. <clears throat> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a pretty great one. The ABC one was the next big one after the, um, the film and, that was, uh, they're actually in their third season now, so the show is doing well. It's called In an Instant, and it's a sort of docudrama series where they have these stories of harrowing, like, tales of survival, and then they, um, they have the real people that were a part of that story sort of talk to the camera, like talking head-style documentary, okay. and then they do these, like, cinematic reenactments. But the fun thing is that the guys who are shooting those cinematic reenactments are really talented. Um, I know most of them, Owen McGuigan, Brandon Boulay, Bo Hakala, like those guys are the, like the DPs on that show. And they're really, really good at what they do. And so, you know how most like History Channel reenactment shows are really cheesy? Yeah. Well, these guys like actually like shoot it like a movie, you know? And so I booked this this part. I was in the very first season, episode six. It aired over like Easter which was really good for me because that means that I got like the most viewership because no, it aired like on a Saturday night 
and no one's out on a Saturday night on Easter because they're home with their family. So they turn on ABC. Okay. So my show actually got a, like my episode got a pretty decent amount of viewership. But it was a really fun thing. I got buried in this in this corn silo. It was it was super cool. It was like I mean I have a very different relationship with corn now because um, <laughs> <laughs> I've spent. I mean, like a week submerged in it, which is like crazy. It was a very interesting experience. Now, for people who aren't familiar with corn silos, like they're big, giant towers where farmers store their corn. And probably like how tall would you say one is? A couple hundred, like 100 feet uh, at yeah. least? Yeah. And, I mean, it's like it's like 10 stories. I mean, they're huge. They're they're. I mean, there's different sizes, of course. But the one yeah. that I was I mean, I had to climb. So we did all these outdoor shots on a farm in like southern Minnesota. So we didn't actually shoot in Iowa because he was from the, the kid was from Iowa. Um, but we shot all the outside stuff on this in this farm. And I had to like early in the morning climb to the top of this corn silo with this long, like 10 foot pvc pipe which farmers use to knock like shelves of rotten corn around because sometimes that corn will start like to get wet Look, see i fucking know all the shit about corn <laughs> so more than i know and i'm from iowa so <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you like I've, i'm like a corn expert now i might as well just start i don't is it corn farming i don't know so um and it was the scariest thing because it's like this spiral staircase that kind of curves along the silo and it's wet I mean, it's early and there's dew and you're like climbing up this thing with this 10 foot pole. So you can't look down because you don't want to hit the pole on a step ahead of you. It was it's pretty I mean, it was a pretty like crazy experience. And I had to do it like three or four times up and down. So did when you were actually submerged in the corn, it's like all, all the corn's off the cob and it's all all in there. Is it like quicksand yeah. that you're standing in and you just kind of sink down into it? Is that kind of how it got stuck? Well, what happened was, so usually you can stand on top of the corn because it's kind of like, it is kind of like sand, but it's, I mean, if there's enough of it, it's just a hard surface. But what happens is, is sometimes there's these pockets of space underneath where like, there's just like a pocket of air kind of. Okay. And then, and then it sits below like a shelf of that rotten corn. And when you're poking around, sometimes you can knock that rotten corn down and then all of a sudden there's a big space of corn. I'm sorry, a big space that isn't filled that suddenly gets filled. And when that happens, it all kind of turns into a sinkhole a little bit because it's all flowing down to the places where it needs to fill. And so that's sort of what happened to this guy. And he just went down with it. And then his dad turned on the auger. And so and at the auger at the bottom, there's this big screw that eventually the corn all goes into. So if the corn had depleted, I would have gone into the auger. I mean, the kid would have, the dude would have gotten into there and died. Yeah, yeah. Most people don't get rescued from stuff like this. It's usually a recovery. It's rarely a rescue because once the corn comes, like goes on top of you, you suffocate very quickly because you're, you can't, your chest can't move because you're compressed. So you can't breathe very well. And there's a lot of corn dust in the silos too. So it was just crazy. I never actually went into the silo. They built half of one on a set in a soundstage. Like it was, I mean, I was never submerged entirely. Okay. Yeah. Pro probably better that way because it's a long way down to the bottom. Um, oh, but so are, 
is this on Netflix where people can check it out or? Um, I think it's on, uh, I think you can watch it on abc.com. I think they have like all of the in an instant episodes available on the ABC go or whatever that app is called, whatever ABC's app is called. You can, I think you can see it. It's episode one. I'm sorry. Season one, episode six. Um, it's called buried in, it's either buried alive or buried in corn. One of the two on your website, it said buried alive. So, uh, we'll go with that for right now. But if, if you find (laughs) something buried in corn with, uh, Greg Berman's name on it, it might be the same thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, so, one other thing that you are doing that besides acting, besides comedy, is you're doing your own little thing called porch sessions, where you interview people on your porch. Uh, how did you get started doing that? So I moved to L.A., and uh, the place that I live happens to have this really beautiful porch covered in these vines. And ever since I came here, I just found myself constantly going out there to just like play guitar and and hang out and it's just this quiet spot and we have like a little hummingbird that lives somewhere on like it made a nest in the porch so there's a hummingbird that comes around every now and then and so I just decided that it was this beautiful place and I've spent so much time just being creative there that I wanted to share it with people so I decided that I'm gonna just I wanted to open it up to people to come and do creative things on my porch initially the idea was to just have people play music and then I would interview them. But now I'm, I'm kind of steering more towards just having people come do creative stuff. So if I find a juggler, I can get a juggler to come and juggle on my porch. Maybe if I can get a dancer, come and dance on my porch. If you want to do some beatboxing, come beatbox. You know, like I, I like this idea of just letting people be creative on my porch in whatever way they want to be and just shooting it for them because it's fun. Okay, so they do a performance, you do an interview afterwards, and... Yeah, and the interview is the, the, the interview is very secondary. I, initially, I liked this idea of the interview, but then I realized that the only reason I was doing it was because I wanted to get on camera, and I decided that that, that wasn't really, <laughs> it wasn't really the point. Like, I, I, I kept thinking, like, well, why, because I was like, how do I fit this interview in, and like, what do we talk about? And then I thought about it, and I'm like, it's kind of vain that I'm even doing it because it's not for them. It's for me. So if I, if I have something interesting to ask them, I'll do an interview. But I think at this point, it's really just about them, about the performer and their interaction with the space. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, and I, I could see an interview being uh, important if like they have something they want to promote too and you get that out, mm-hmm. you know? They're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I'm performing over here or I got this big project coming up. You can come Definitely. see me do my mime work somewhere. Uh, but exactly. an interview with a mime might be a little bit difficult. Oh, that'd be actually really awesome. It'd be <laughs> awesome, but like, he'd be like, It'd be... I'm stuck in a box. I'm stuck in a box. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go check out this guy getting stuck in a box in <laughs> another box. Yep, another box. And, and uh, playing <laughs> tug of war with himself. Exactly. Um... <laughs> It'd be really funny if the mime also didn't let me talk. Like he pretended like he couldn't hear me so that he would force me to mime things back to him. There you go. There you go. Forcing the mime on the moment. I'll be right over. I'll dress like a mime. We can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That would be another thing that I would love to do is maybe eventually um, find a way to like be a part of the performance. If, you know, if they, if the artist is cool with me being a part of it, that'd be super fun. Like I would enjoy that a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I could, I could see. I, I like the idea of the porch sessions, though. It's really cool. It, it kind of, it's kind of similar to this without the performance. This is mainly just interview. Sometimes I'll have sure. like a song in front. Of, I'm not set up to record a performance here, uh, right. <laughs> but I'll have like a song or a stand-up bit from uh, actor or comedian, and cool on um, before the show. So then have the interview there. But uh, I do know you're short on time, so I won't keep going on and on about this. We'll start wrapping things up. I got a few questions for you. Sure. Uh, Because you have like a hard out at uh, 10 o'clock because you have an acting class. First of all, I guess what do they like? What do they teach in acting classes? You know, that's a it's interesting. There are so many different acting classes in Los Angeles. And the hardest thing is finding the one that that. Well, there's two that a works for you. And because the thing about acting is it's such a personal thing that in order to take direction from someone and like choose to learn acting from someone else, you have to trust that they know what they're talking about. You know, like there has to be this implicit like, okay, I believe that you understand what I need to do to get better because there's so many acting teachers in L.A. who are just, you know, shitty actors and never made it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because eventually you're still out here and they're like, well, I can't be an actor because no one wants me. So I'm just going to teach acting. And they convince other young hopefuls that they can tell them the secret when in reality they didn't know the secret, obviously, because they never became actors. Yes, that those who can't do teach thing going on. Whatever, so. yes. But there are also some teachers here who are actually very talented teachers of acting. And I, I happen to have been so lucky to find um, a studio called BGB Studios. I'm happy to promote them. Um and and uh, they have this acting class on the weekends, and we just uh, the past couple of weeks we've been um, assigned scenes from various movies, and we just uh, they're just like little three four page scenes, and I just memorize it before class, and then in class we just do the scene with a another person, and they'll shoot it sometimes, and they'll give us direction and whatever, and then we we can watch the film afterwards, like. Last week, I played uh, Ryan Gosling's character from Ides of March. Okay. Um, the week before that, I played George Clooney's character from The Descendants. To this week, I'm really excited because we're doing comedy. I get to play Jim Carrey's character from I Love You, Philip Morris, which is uh, one of the few Jim Carrey movies I've not seen. But I am a huge fan of Jim Carrey. So, like, it's a real honor to be like, ooh, I get to play his character. You know, I'm really excited for it. So. Yeah, that that one's kind of slipped through cracks when I've seen most Jim Carrey movies because I think he's hilarious. Um, but I, love uh, Jim I have not seen I Love You, Philip Morris. I might have to see if that's on Netflix or something. But it's great. I'm happy that I haven't seen it because now I won't be able to just do Jim Carrey. Like I want to be able to play this character without the knowledge of what Jim Carrey would have done because I want to see, you know, like because then I'm influenced by it. I'd rather just make my own choices. Okay, yeah, instead of, like, doing Ace Ventura or something like that. You know, exactly. Be like, all righty then. Yeah, I, I can do a perfect Jim Carrey impression from Ace Ventura, but that's not what this is about. It's about yeah. finding, you know, finding the truth and all that stuff. Okay, cool, cool. So what advice would you have for an actor or comedian looking to get started out or take take their career to that next level? Um, you know, I would say that the biggest advice that I have is, is to not, um, 
to not give up. It's I know that I know that that's such a like you know uh, trite piece of advice because everyone says it, but I've just I've just more and more realized that if you if you ever look at a piece of advice, I feel like there's so much advice being thrown around, and there's all these beautiful motivational quotes everywhere, right? But each of them sort of have a different message. But if you were to take all of them and try to find the similarity and just like try to see what the similarity is between all of the pieces of advice that everyone's giving, the main thing that you'll see is that it all leads back to determination and persistence. Okay. And I think that's the biggest thing that that people need to do is to keep, is to have that determination and have that persistence because on some level this is a game of attrition. You're just waiting for everyone else to quit before you do because that's what happens is eventually people run out of money, people encounter life problems, people have health issues. You know, and I'm not saying I'm waiting for people to die so that I can be an, an actor. <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit. <laughs> certain ones. people, certain people. Yeah, look, I, I, I kind of look. I, I've been told I look a lot like Chris Pratt, and I love Chris Pratt. But if suddenly he couldn't act, that might be a good thing for me. Um, <laughs> just Man, kidding, he's, Chris he's Pratt. He's had please. he's had a huge <laughs> transformation too. Like from when he was on Parks and Rec to uh, yes. like the Jurassic Park movie or Jurassic World. Uh, um, I like, love Chris. He's amazing. He's such a he's such a talented guy, and I wish him nothing but the best. But it's great that he's starting to become, you know, like he's getting close to forty years old, and so now you know, like Hollywood needs another younger version of that kind of guy. And of course, that's something I would like to do. You know, there you um, go. But uh, I would say, yeah, I would say it's all about persistence and staying um, and staying in it, staying in the game and and just not letting not letting the walls, um, not letting the walls stop you, because there's always there's always a way you can get around them. There's always something you can think of as long as you just keep coming up with ideas, showing up every single day and moving the piece forward just a little bit. Eventually, you'll get better. Because I don't feel like I'm a great actor yet, and I don't feel like I'm a great stand-up comic yet. But what I do know is that I'm better now than I was a year ago. Okay. And that's all that matters to me. It just it, I need to feel like if like one year ago, am I better than that time? And if I can feel, and if I can, you know, in my head, enumerate like here are all the reasons why I am then that makes me feel like I'm still moving forward and I'm still, you know, I'm still putting my best foot forward every time. Yeah, I listen to the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwick a lot, and he's he gives advice like that as well. He's like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a big line to get in, and when you quit, you're getting out of line. But if <clears> you exactly. stay in line, there's so many people that are just going to drop out of line, and you move up in that position where they were, and if they want to get back in, well, they kind of almost have to get back behind you. Unless, you know, it's exactly. you're moving forward, and eventually you'll get there. <clears throat> and just yeah. thinking of his story... Like, uh, work way back in the day, it was like he was a host of Singled Out with Jenny McCarthy, went away mm -hmm. for a while, but he stuck with it. And now he's like, you know, everywhere. Right. And it's just eventually, eventually what happens, I think, is that either the industry finds the best place for you or you find the best place for the industry in the industry, you know? Yeah. Because it, it, it's, it's totally possible that I may never be an actor 
um, or I may never be a stand-up comic and I might end up being a producer or director. You know, or it's totally possible that, that I'll just eventually just go full stand-up comedy, quit acting, you know, and just... But the point is, is that as long as you're always true to, like, what you think is creative, then then that's it. That That's all you really can worry about. Because in the end, every day I wake up and I have ideas for what I think would be a cool thing to show people or a cool thing to do or a cool thing to tell someone. Because that's how my brain works. I'm just constantly thinking up new ideas. And if I can just execute... 10% of all of the ideas that I come up with, hopefully, you know, 50% of that 10%, someone will care about somewhere. And eventually, maybe I'll strike on something that people really enjoy. And that's the hope. Because now it's easier than ever. The, the distribution channels are so accessible. I could go today go take out a loan for $200,000 if I, you know, I, I don't know if I get approved. I think so. I got a pretty good credit history. But if I went and, and, and took out a loan, that's such a Jewish thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very Jewish. And I just like thought about that. I'm like, no, I could totally get a loan. Like, so <laughs> if I went out and got a loan for $200,000, I could shoot an ultra low budget feature film today, um, start shooting it, whatever, get it all put together and I can post it on YouTube and theoretically, that movie could get me an Oscar. It's possible. It's yeah. not likely, but it's possible because enough people would see it that eventually someone would let me remake it or just they liked it enough that it just gets really whatever. And you could win a major, major award for it. Swiss Army Man is a perfect example. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's amazing. It's so good. And it came out of Sundance Labs. It's just there's so many avenues for people to showcase their work now that it's both good and bad. It's good because you can showcase your work. You, you don't need to go contact a distribution studio or a distribution um, company to go to like send your DVD to a bunch of theaters to have it screened. You can just post it on Vimeo. You know, yeah. and that's a big deal. You can have a podcast. You don't have to go and talk to iHeartRadio and get on Clear Channel in order for you to have a radio show. You can just do it. And that's what you're doing. And eventually, maybe someone will stumble onto this podcast uh, that can totally break it to, you know, next level Mark Marin, you know, heights. I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that. I've actually moved from uh, regular like commercial radio. I worked at a cumulus station in Cedar Rapids, Iowa to doing right. my own show. So exactly. Like, Cause you have more freedom and artistically it's better for you. Exactly. Exactly. Because you're true to what you want to do. You're true to what you want to talk about. There's no one telling you, you know, yes or no. Louis CK walked away from multi-million dollar deals to produce something that he believed in and it totally worked. And that's the perfect example of persistence. He believed in a, in a product. He thought it was good and people agreed. Yes. And what what is true to you? What do you like? What what is it that you want people to take away from your performance uh, sure. when they come see you, whether it's on screen, on stage? I guess my main my main thing. And this is something that I that I um, I feel like comes out in my stand up comedy and something that um, comes out in my acting and my stories is that is that. I want everyone to understand like the complex beauty of life. 
I think that there's so many, like in my standup, I think a lot of my material is surrounded around someone saying something or doing something and then me analyzing it way past what anyone else would analyze it as, <laughs> you know, like I just break it down way beyond where anyone else would be like, okay, yeah, that, that happened. But I go like, why did that happen? Who was a part of it? What inspired it? And I think that if people were more mindful of other people's perspectives and people were more mindful of like why things are happening and what is happening, I think that we would be living in a better world because I'm such a believer of the fact that, um, <clears throat> that there's really no right or wrong. It's all about perspective. And once people can get past the fact that they are neither right nor wrong, but just this is what they believe, then I think that's, that's what will eventually be a big uniting force is people understanding that it's okay to see things differently. And I okay. think that's what I want is I want to be able to show conflict. Like it's, as far as my writing, I'm currently working on a short film that I'm hoping to get produced here in the next uh, month or two. And I just, I just signed uh, a DP onto it and a director. And he's, I'm very excited. He's really, really talented at what he does. And, um, it's a it's a story about a stand-up comic <clears throat> who is the whole story is just him telling jokes on stage. But what you're going to see is this sort of montage of what inspired those jokes, and it takes you through a relationship that this comedian had from start to finish, where they break up. And while the audience is laughing at all the jokes, you're seeing the sadness that was behind them. That's and very I'm just trying to show people the fact that not that there's so much perspective that for them. A funny situation is a tragic situation for the comic, but he's chosen to present it in a different way. And just showing the complexity of what that means and what that looks like, I'm hoping that people will feel that and understand that there's more to the story every time. That is actually really cool. I like that idea. As you mentioned, like a lot of comedy comes from pain, you know, of some yeah. sort. And it's the Definitely. comic it's the comic's responsibility to take that pain and bring light to it to make, you know, people laugh about it. Um, Absolutely. And it's their job. And that's really cool to see that I'd I'd be down to watch that. I'd be interested in uh, seeing the story behind jokes. I've I've done some stand up comedy. I haven't been on stage for a while, but yeah, I've had some stories and jokes where it's come from, you know, not necessarily a warm, fuzzy place, but coming to make it like try to be, you know, entertaining and enlightening without getting that ah response because, you know, I don't want that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and that's part of what I want to show in this film as well is this sort of you know how uh, because the what what you start seeing slowly is that the comedian becomes a bit of an unreliable narrator because he's explaining the story as what as what he as how he wants to present it but the visual that you're seeing doesn't look exactly like what he's saying and you can tell that he's altered it to make it a little bit more favorable to him as opposed to the situation. And that's also an important piece of it. It's kind of like in True Detective. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but at this point, if you haven't seen season one of True Detective, fuck you, you should should have watched it already. Spoiler alert. Uh, (laughs) There's a great... There's a great bit where Matthew McConaughey is explaining this like sequence of events and you're seeing it play out entirely different than how he's explaining it. And you realize that he's lying as it's happening and it's a very powerful moment because you're like, okay, these police officers who he's talking to have no other knowledge of what happened. And so he's painting a completed, completely different picture than what is actually 
there. And I, that's, I, that intrigues me. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, you'll have to let me know when, uh, when you actually get that up. Cause I'd love to, uh, love to check it out. Um, it, well, and this is and, another great example of persistence because I've been working on that project. Uh, at least I've had the idea for close to three, four years now. And I'm just now, you know, I, I finished writing it maybe six, seven months ago and now I'm editing it and I'm, you know, like I'm just now trying to attach some people to it. And it's like, sometimes those master projects take so long to come through, come together, but you have to stick with it and you got to believe in the story. Yes. Yes, you do, man. And, uh, I give you credit for sticking with things because it is not easy to do. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it, of course, but, um, so through sticking with things and pushing and pushing, you've had some big successes, but what would you say your biggest success so far has been? You know, I, 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 the two come to mind, but I think one has beaten the other. So when I was in high school, so I, I didn't mention this, and I don't know if I mentioned it on my website, but I'm not even from America. I was born in Ukraine. So I was born in Ukraine. I moved to America when I was seven years old. Okay. And so I speak fluent Russian, and my mom and dad are both Russian. Um, my dad speaks, doesn't even speak very much English. He works in a body shop, uh, fixing cars, and my mom is a daycare teacher. So, you know, I come from this, from a very, I mean, immigrant background. We came with nothing, and we've slowly built our life here in America. Um, and in high school, <clears throat> I also don't know if I mentioned on my website, but I was a magician for a long time as well. Really? I didn't... Um, <laughs> yeah, so I did magic for a long time, uh, and that's how I primarily made money in high school, uh, because I just started doing shows and I was able to participate in something called high school speech forensics. I don't know if you're familiar with it um, at all. Not a, not a lot of people are. It's like competitive acting. Okay. Yeah. And I was really into it. And I, in order to really go to next level competition, I had to be able to pay for traveling tournaments. And that's how I did it was through magic. I would do magic shows so I could pay for this thing. And my junior year, I won this big national tournament called the, the the CNFL tournament. It was like this big thing and I won it. And then I went and got fifth at this other one in Las Vegas. And that was an, an experience that really launched me into this thing was because the, one of those final rounds had 3000 people. So I performed for 3000 people in the Cox pavilion in Las Vegas. And it was amazing. It was the coolest thing I'd ever done. And that was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, and I, and I, after that happened, I was like, you know what? I'm, I, I have to keep doing that. It was like that first high. It's like, I have to keep chasing that high of what that felt like. Of um, course. And just being a not native English speaker, it was cool that I was able to come and just, and do this in a, in a language that wasn't the one I was born with. Although I would say I'm better at English now than I am at Russian. Okay. Yeah. And it's impressive. I, there's no accent either. Like a lot of people who yeah. are born like foreignly, even if they come over at a young age, still seem to have like a little bit of an accent. But, you know, right. th was uh, foren like the acting forensics class uh, a big part of that? Why you don't have the accent still? No, I think it's it, it really it's really all about when you come. You know, if it's before like the age of 10, then usually you don't have an accent. Okay. Usually, uh, I mean, that that's very different for everyone. I mean, I might just have a, you know, a slight like propensity for learning languages. I just I might be 
just generally better at linguistics. So it's possible that I was able to not have an accent while other seven-year-olds who came here might. Yeah. But generally speaking, if you come here before the age of 10, it's pretty likely that you won't have an accent because you've just it, it's still a formative enough time in your brain that it's that you can learn a different pronunciation of things. Um, but I would say that that was a big accomplishment until the Chicago PD thing, which you briefly mentioned earlier. And the Chicago PD role was was pretty instrumental and pretty monumental in a couple of different ways. Um, obviously, it was instrumental because it's a major TV show on a major network. Um, I only had a small little guest star role. I was just the bad guy in like season three, episode six or something like that. Okay. I just, I had a, like five, six lines. It wasn't a huge part, but here are the big things that are, are the reason why I would consider that potentially one of my great accomplishments is because it was, uh, it was the project that got me into the union. So I'm a SAG actor nice. because of that project. And because of that, <clears throat> because I had to join the union to do it is the reason I came out to Los Angeles, which is also just a big risk and a big leap that I took specifically because of that project. But the other thing that I would say is a big part of why I believe that was a big deal for me <clears throat> is because in order to get that project, I had to fly out from Minneapolis to Chicago just to audition for it, which as an actor, I can tell you it doesn't happen very often because most auditions you go to, you just assume you're not. I mean, I, I go on way more auditions than I book. Yeah. So it's really hard to like really pay attention to any one audition because most of the time you could they could say no because my eyes are too green or my hair is too dark or I'm too tall. So it has nothing to do with how good of an actor I am. Yeah. But my agent was like, Hey Greg, I'd like you to do this audition in Chicago. And I'm like, can I just send in a video? And she goes, no, the casting director would like to meet you. And it's three days from now. And I'm like, okay. So I had to book a ticket on my own money, find a place to stay on my own money, fly out to this thing and audition for this thing, which totally could have been nothing. And it could have just been like a huge expense for nothing, but it worked out. The risk paid off. And because of that, I am so much more likely to take a risk now because I took a risk, it paid off, and now my life is better because of it. And it's really opened me up to the idea that risks are very important. Yes, yes. Risks, like you don't grow unless you step outside your comfort zone. That's kind of one of the big things. So, And not all risks pay off, but when they do, it could be, could be you know, huge for you. Sometimes you just got to go for it, yeah. I know we're getting close to your out time. Got about four minutes left. So um, before I get to the final question of the show, mm -hmm. uh, do you have anything coming up that you want to promote, like comedy yeah. shows, uh, movies coming out, anything like that? Yeah, um, I have a uh, – I'm going to be up in Seattle uh, – on January 20, or I'm sorry, January, February 21st and 22nd, I'll be doing um, some shows at Muckleshoot Casino and Tulalip Casino. Uh, I'm going to be um, featuring for, actually, I'm not even sure who the headliner is yet. So if you're out in the Seattle area and want to come see some shows, check out the website at Muckleshoot Casino or Tulalip Casino. I'll be there 21st and 22nd. And then also on March 15th, 
I, um, I produced this Jewish uh, stand-up comedy showcase at the Hollywood Laugh Factory called the King Davids of Comedy. And so I'll be performing there along with some other Jewish comedians and another comedian named Steve Hofstetter, who many have heard of. He's the heckler, the heckler guy. He takes down hecklers all the time. He's, uh, he's a great comic. Um, uh, but he and I produced this show together, and uh, I'm lucky to work with him on, on, that, on that showcase. So that's March 15th. Otherwise, you know, just uh, you know, I've got a couple projects coming down the pipeline and on Instagram and my website. So anything, my website's a good place to go to, gregberman.com, for any news about things that I'm doing. All right, perfect, Greg. So I have one more question for you, then I'm going to have you cool. sign off the show. Uh, but it's a, this is the title question of Uncontained. Greg Berman, how do you live Uncontained? I decide what I want, I figure out how to do it, and then I do it. I, I, it was one of the things that I learned in magic as a magician. You go and you see a magician and you see him do something that seems impossible. And then you learn how that works. And then you go, you know what? Nothing's impossible. Everything can be done. It all, it's all just a matter of, of how you do it and which borders you have to go around and bend and circumvent. But no matter what, even if something seems impossible, it's just not. Nothing is impossible. Everything is possible. A matter of how you think about it, how you solve the problem, and uh, what are the steps you take to solve it. And I think that that's how I live uncontained. Is I just assume that nothing is impossible. Great. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show today. I know you got to run, get to your acting class, and uh, thank you. Wish man. you great luck. I want to hear about this uh, comedian uh, show where you show this show the bit and definitely. the uh, the behind the scenes of the story. Uh, when that comes out, you definitely have to let me know. Absolutely. Maybe have you come back on, talk about it some more, and promote the hell out of it. Would be great. Uh, but. Could I have you do me one favor, and that is uh, sign off the show today? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Greg Berman, and I live uncontained, and you should too. Thanks again to Greg Berman, and thanks to you for listening. That does it for this week's episode. Make sure if you are in the Seattle area to uh, go check out Greg live on stage doing some stand-up at the Tula Lip Resort and Casino on February 21st and the Muckleshot Casino on February 22nd. Then later on back in the LA area at the Laugh Factory, yes, it's the King David's of Comedy Show March 15th at the LA Laugh Factory. It's an event that Greg puts on featuring Jewish comics and uh, if you can make any of those shows, I would definitely suggest it. Check them out in person. Check them out live. And for more upcoming events and uh, so you can check out what all he, Greg has been in if we didn't cover it here. He has a website, so conveniently named gregberman.com. Nothing nothing crazy about it. No Greg Berman comic or the Greg Berman, just gregberman.com. Check it out. And while you're on the web, make sure you swing by 
uncontainedpod.com and uh, help support the show. We got the Amazon link up there. Going to be having a Patreon count coming soon. And uh, all ways that you can help out. Amazon doesn't cost you anything. Just a couple extra clicks of the mouse. And uh, what you purchase helps the show out. Thank you for listening. Please tell a friend about it. And when you're on iTunes, Stitcher, rate, review, subscribe, and share. And as always, until next time, live uncontained.